listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello! You're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio, which means you got an invitation from me, Deb Wolf. That's right, DebraWolfOnline.com if you're looking for more of me. And I'm here at Camp Good Dog with all my dogs. And I'm wondering, I've been wondering lately, what makes a dog know how to smell things? What makes a dog know how to find things? What makes some dogs better at this than others? And how can we play games with our own dogs or do tricks with our own dogs that kind of zap into it? I've done a few things. I've, I figured out years ago that my dogs could always knew where the car was when I didn't. So I taught them the command, find the car, and I stopped getting lost, which was really nice. But I've not done enough with their ability to smell. I know they can smell things that would help me. I just don't know how to make use of it. Like, what if someone loses their cat or can't find their dog? How do I teach my own dogs to, you know, smell the clothing and find the person or smell the blanket and find the pet? This is the kind of thing I've been wondering lately, and I know who to ask. Her name is Susan Bulanda, and she's got a book out there called Scenting on the Wind, and she's trained all kinds of dogs to find just about anything, and so she knows how the dog mind works when it comes to finding stuff. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I'm up here in Canada, Vancouver, British Columbia, and I know, I think you're in, are you in Maryland? Yes, I am, and it's kind of hot down here. Kind of hot down there. Well, how does the weather, here it's always raining, not right now, but seven, eight, nine months a year, it's pretty damp and wet. Does that make it harder for dogs to search? Does, I think dry, my dogs seem to find stuff quicker on a sunny day, or is that just my mood? Well, it depends. The weather is definitely affects scent. It's a key factor. The weather, not just the temperature and humidity, but the wind will affect what scent is available to a dog. And uh, really hot, dry conditions will dry the scent up. And then sometimes later in the evening when it gets cooler and, and a little dampness or humidity comes in, the scent will revive if it's still there. So weather on a very, very windy day, of course, the scent is going to be blown all over the place. So it can be difficult for a dog to detect. And then the terrain is also a big factor. If you think of scent like water, scent will travel much the same way as water does in the path of least resistance. But with scent, it can cling to objects along its pathway. So sometimes you have a scent-specific dog, they may not follow the scent where a person walked or where the object is, they will go near it because that's where the scent is. Okay. Are there some <laughs> types of dogs that are just no good at, at finding things by smell? If we've got a pug or, I don't know, maybe a beagle would be great at it. All the scent hounds and hound dogs, I imagine, are terrific at it. But is even the worst dog okay at this to bother to teach him some stuff or not really? Well, the dog's ability to detect scent is dictated by two different things. Number one, the breed and the structure of the nose. And even though dogs like Boston Terriers and Pugs can't detect scent as well as a longer-nosed breed, they mm -hmm. can still detect scent a lot better than we can. Like way, 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 way better. So much so that it's worth teaching them? Is that what you're saying? 
Well, it's not worth teaching them for real jobs because they don't have that ability. But for fun stuff right. like, you know, teaching them to find things around the house or identify certain scents for fun, they certainly enjoy doing it. I mean, you know, you have to consider that a dog's primary means of identifying things is through scent. That's their world. More than sight and almost as much, if not more, than hearing. So the little guys that don't have the ability to detect the minuscule residual scent that a working dog would have to do would certainly enjoy and really get into scent games. So, you know, this is mentally, this is what they're all about. Okay, I get that. I understand that. So what can we do with our dogs at home that is fun but maybe has an application? Like I think of how many times people are missing their pet cat. They want to get their dog, and the dog probably can smell where the cat went. He just doesn't know that that's exactly what they're searching for, right? How do they make that connection? Well, that is teaching the dog to identify and follow a particular scent, which would be scent-specific work. That is something that the average pet owner is probably not equipped to do. It's more of a working dog job, and you don't want to risk not finding your cat because your dog isn't trained properly. Well, or you know what I worry about is that the dog might misunderstand the command and begin to hunt and track and treat the cat as prey, and then you go out one day and the dog who always loved the cat, you know, brings it home dead. Like, that's not what you want. Because there's a fine line between this, isn't there? This scenting to find, but not actually bring home the animal, not actually kill it. Because it's sort of like retrievers. Retrievers often use their nose to find what they're looking for, you know, and then flush it out. And then it gets killed and then they bring it back. Okay, we're going to come back. We're going to go to break and we're going to come back with Susan Belanda. And she's going to explain to us how the dog mind works when it comes to all this. I mean, it is a prey drive, this scenting thing. But these dogs who are the best smellers, well, they obviously don't kill the wounded person they find. They obviously don't kill the animal they're searching for or attack the drugs they're supposed to find or the ammunition. So somehow we're getting these dogs with a massive prey drive and we're we're sort of stopping it halfway. It's very, very peculiar. All right, so stay tuned. We'll find out out more about what you can do with your dog at home to capitalize on his great sense of smell and maybe there is a way he can help find that cat after all maybe there's a way i don't know maybe maybe not stay tuned to animal party on pet life radio don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come only losers leave the party early anyway party on back in a few Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. It's dinner time in America where more pet parents trust PetSmart for natural and expert-recommended foods than any place else. And now, we've added more than 100 new varieties to our already wide selection of your favorite brands, like Simply Nourish, Authority, Wellness, Science Diet, and more. Do what's best for your pet. At PetSmart, happiness in store. 
Go to PetSmartDeal.com to find out this week's coupon code and save up to 30% on food, treats, toys, and more. And get free shipping on orders of $49. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. You're inside the VIP room. With the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello, you're back on Animal Party, Cat Life Radio with Deb Wolf. And DebraWolfOnline.com is where to find me. Or you can go Facebook, of course, Camp Good Dog. I have a site there too, Deborah Wolf Pet Expert. But Camp Good Dog is where you get to see the two remaining red standard poodle puppies. Don't worry, they're already sold. I'm not tugging at your heartstrings. Just want you to see them because they're so fluffy and cute and they're always up to something. So you got lots of pictures of them and all the dogs who come here. We're pretty full right now. It was a long weekend. So in the middle of August, a lot of people on holiday, a lot of dogs coming to stay at Camp Good Dog. You'll see all sorts of dogs swimming in our spring-fed pond. It's pretty funny seeing the mug for the camera with their happy dog smiles. So, all right, we're here with the author of Scenting on the Wind, Scenting on the Wind, Susan Bolanda. And she's written other books as well. But this one really is technical and explains exactly how this works. The searching patterns and how to train them to do the different things. So if you're serious about training a dog to scent, then you should pick up this book. It's very, very technical and it's what you need. Exactly. It's like a guide. It's almost like a military guide of maneuvers. It doesn't read like most dog books. So Susan, what can we do at home with our dogs? Can we continue that conversation a little bit? Well, the thing that is useful is to train the dog to find things like your keys or if you lose a glove or you drop something in the yard, whatever, and you can teach them to locate these objects. Oh, you can do the it. the cell phone, the children's eyeglasses. Oh, yes, I'm getting it. <laughs> yep, yep, and you can do it one of two ways. You can teach them to identify the object itself because everything has a scent picture. Or you can teach them to follow your footsteps to retrace where you were so that you could hopefully find the object. So those are two ways you can do it. Okay, let's let, oh yeah, this is too exciting. I don't know about the retracing because maybe I left, you know, maybe I left or she left her eyeglasses three days ago or, you know, so I don't know about the retracing, how direct our path of loss would be. But what about training? Do I just set out the object and, you know, hide it in a visible way, tell the dog to find it on leash, make it sit when it finds it and sort of practice that till the dog does it automatically? Is that kind of because that's how a dog trainer brain sort of seizes on this. Maybe that's the way to go. No? Well, again, you can teach teach the dog to sit by the object, certainly, or give some other signal. Some people like the dog to lie down. In search and rescue for air scent work, we teach the dog to come back and lead us to the object. There's a number of different ways of doing it, but the best way, the simplest, easiest way for a pet owner to train a dog is to click the dog, use clicker training, and when the dog goes by the object, you place the object out somewhere and the dog goes by the object, you click them. And when they reliably go to that object, then you can put a command to it. Now, that's no different than teaching a dog to touch a target stick. The object becomes the target. 
Okay, so you, and if you weren't clicker training, you would just praise your dog. Every time you walk by your cell phone or if it's your kid's eyeglasses or something, your keys, keys are a big one. Walks by your keys, you say, good dog, good dog. When he starts to hang out at your keys, you say, keys, good dog, good dog. And then maybe you introduce the find my keys and you actually leash walk him over to them, make him sit so he gets the idea that he's actually supposed to find them and flag them. Is that how that would work? With a treat at the end of the sequence? Yep, yep. That's one way of doing it. I mean, there's more than one way of doing it because different dogs respond to different types of training. See, the key is communicating to the dog what you want. That's the issue. It doesn't matter what it is you want. As long as you can communicate that to the dog, the dog will learn. And, you you know, people usually cannot say, good dog, that's it, fast enough. That's where the clicker is better because it pinpoints exactly what it is you want the dog to find. And then the dog learns, oh, this is what you want me to find. It just makes it easier. But you can do it without the clicker, but it just is much easier for the dog if they are clicker trained and you use the clicker for that training. And then once they know to go to that object, then you can put a command to it and then you can teach them to give you a signal. But you should never try to teach them to identify the object, go to the object and give a signal all in one session. It has yeah, to that be broken. would be a lot. Yeah, it has to be broken down in the parts because it's difficult for people to learn three things at once, let alone a dog when you don't have the benefit of a language to tell them what they're doing. You know, I once went traveling, and this has nothing to do with scenting, but it has to do with the different styles of learning and different dogs. I was once traveling, I was doing, I think, five cities in four days, dog show every day. You know, I'd get on stage, people would show me their bad dogs, they'd won contests, and they'd come up on stage, and dog would pull the person or jump up or whatever, and I'd train that dog. But I also brought a couple of my personal dogs and a couple of my customers to demonstrate some really fancy you know like we did a line dance to rambling man and a couple of really fancy stuff just for the show of it anyway one of these dogs Mitzi a border collie what I would call a barkaholic a rescue dog that people had adopted and when they first called me she was a year or two and she was hurting them wrapping the leash around their legs and chasing them when they tried to walk her and she was pulling literally pulling the hair off their cats so they had many many problems with her and within a half an hour of meeting her I knew she was just an incredible work dog anyhow Mitzi was bored on tour so we would sit in the motel room and I would try and come up with new tricks for Mitzi right and I got her to fetch the remote and different things so she already knew go get really really well so one day I placed like three or four things in front of her and would say go get and a couple of the things she already knew ball bone but a couple of the things she didn't and within 10-15 minutes she knew two new objects so that's a border collie brain though right and that's dog that I could then say go get the phone and she'd just find it the search part wouldn't even need to be taught because she's already looking for that's a border collie brain a retriever might work better the other way we described where you leash walk it and you break it into three steps a beagle is probably going to work better with a smell I think how would you do this kind of training with a with a scent dog, with a dog that's really food-motivated, nose to the ground? Well, it really, again, the clicker training works with all types of dogs. Mm-hmm. I've trained many breeds of dogs. And, for example, when I had my Havanese, which at that time was a very rare breed of dog, I taught her to detect toxic mold. And she was a wonderful little mold dog. And uh, it's not something the breed was bred to do. But, 
you know, the clicker training, it was a breeze to train her. The same way with the Border Collies and my Beauceron, my Russell Terrier, my cat, and my birds. I do that with all of them. Oh, that's and cool. It's, <laughs> it's cool to see a trained cat. I love seeing trained cats. <laughs> Well, it's really easy to do it with the clicker. That's why I'm really, for pet owners that don't have a lot of experience or understanding, it's probably the one method that reaches the most dogs. And the timing, of course, you have to know, get a book or or attend a class on how to do clicker training, but applying it to this is probably easy. And, you know, they have uh, what's called nose work, which is a fairly new sport, And they train the dogs to look for scents like vanilla, cinnamon, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's really, for a dog, it's a piece of cake. It's a walk in the park. Yes. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I think, from what you've said today, I think I could adapt my technique that I use, and it's on my DVD, it's on my video. I think it's even on a free YouTube clip if people want to look it up. You know, Deborah Wolf Dog Training on YouTube. You can find it somewhere there. It's... uh, I train, just for fun, I'll train the dog of the house to find the kids in the house by their name. Just for fun, we do it on leash to start, the kid has a treat, the parent says, go find Lisa, the dog, you know, sees Lisa three feet away, walks over, gets a treat, and we keep doing this. Then Lisa hides. Then Lisa hides really hard somewhere other than home, and the dog is actually finding Lisa. Okay, so now this dog can find that kid anywhere and take the parent to them, in a park, in a playground, in a campsite, when the kid goes missing, like those two right now, and I hope they turn up okay, two children are missing in an Ontario campsite today, two little girls and they think they just they were playing hide and go seek in the woods last night and they're gone and you know this kind of thing a dog could be used for this so that's something they could do but if the dog loves the cat and I'll, I mean loves no tension no prey drive just loves it it's its favorite thing you could modify this and have the dog find the cat that way and then you would be able to do the same thing with your cat okay so we're gonna go for one more commercial break and come back when we come back Susan I want to ask you I'm amazed I think a lot of my listeners are amazed by the idea that a dog can smell if someone has cancer or if they're epileptic or if they're having a seizure or and I don't know how that all works so I'd like to ask you what's the difference between that and and this and we'll be back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio stay tuned don't go anywhere because the best is yet to come stick around dogs leave fur wherever they go it collects all over the home there are many tools designed to stop dog hair spreading but their effectiveness varies and afterwards you have to clean the tool then the floor with the Dyson groom tool you simply deploy the bristles then gently brush the coat loose fur is removed while dead skin and allergens are captured by the vacuum and to clean up you simply release the trigger to get this awesome Dyson groom tool go to DysonDeals.com that's DysonDeals.com Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle. 
and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. You're, you're, you're inside the VIP room with the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Hello, we're back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. And that means, oh, the party's almost over. Well, we have a little bit. The end of the party's always the best part. We're getting to last call, but not yet, yet, not yet. So uh, we're talking with Susan Valanda. Scenting on the Wind is her book. If you truly want to train your dog to find stuff, and I mean really find stuff, like maybe you have a get-rich scheme and you want to find truffles. Yep. That can be done. Your dog knows where they are. He just doesn't know you want them. All right, so <laughs> let's explain this, Susan, and, and maybe you can tell me what. How is it? Is it possible that someday my doctor will think I'm sick and instead of sending me for some nasty tests, I'll get to walk into a room with, like, a lab report will be an actual lab, a Labrador retriever that comes and sniffs <laughs> my leg and says, no, that's fine, no cancer here, bye-bye. Is that possible, do you think? Well, I don't think it'll get to that point. Point, but dogs can certainly detect skin cancer. They can certainly detect, you know, changes. What they're, let me just put it this way. What they're detecting is a change in your normal body chemistry. So a dog can alert somebody that's diabetic where their insulin level changes or their sugar level changes. We don't know how dogs identify somebody that's going to have an epileptic seizure, but from what I know about scent work in dogs, I believe there has to be a chemical change that they pick up on. Uh, The problem is that most of the dogs that do this do it naturally, and they don't, it's hard to train them because you can't control when somebody's going to have an epileptic seizure for training purposes. In order to teach a dog something, you have to be able to have that substance available to teach the dog to identify in a controlled manner. Yes, uh, but the detection of cancer, you could, couldn't you? You could have samples in jars. Well, yes, you can. I mean, there there Mm -hmm. are, you know, if it's something you can get a scent, either a chemical reproduction or the actual thing, and train the dog on, then you can train them to detect anything you want them to detect. But if it's something that's random, such as we don't know what the chemistry is, to my knowledge anyway, that a dog picks up or what they actually do pick up, it may not even be a scent, it could be something else that the dog picks up for things like epileptic seizures. Until we can identify that, we can't train the dog to find it. So that's the issue, is is identifying and isolating the scent that the dog picks up on. Now, you can also train a dog to pick up things like sounds and other things that, you know, it doesn't have to be scent. It can be a sound. An example of that would be a dog that alerts their owner to a thunderstorm before we ever hear the thunder. 
they so, can okay, hear it. in training your dog to find the phone, right, would it be a mistake to make the phone ring? Because then the dog will track it by hearing and maybe not learn to track it by nose? Or would that be a good thing, too, because then he just learns the command, find the phone? Well, the, the phone is going to have a scent. It's going to have the <laughs> scent of what it's made of and who touched it. There's, there's a lot of different categories of scent. There's individual person scent. There's a family scent. And there's a combination. There's a scent picture that actually has many more different things in it. And we don't know, and until dogs can talk to us, we'll never know what exactly is the scent picture they use to identify the things we want them to find. It could be a combination of scents. So teaching them to find the phone is no different than teaching them to find anything else. So I'm not clear, would it help to make the phone ring when you're telling them to find it, if, you know, or not? Would that well, you can do it both them? ways. You both ways, okay. Yeah, I mean, it can be by the ringing or it could be by the scent. I mean, let's say Yes, but you want the dog phone. to find the phone when it doesn't ring, right? Because if it rang, you could just ring it and find it. But it's That's when it's right. dead that you need them to find it. But maybe, to, you know, if... Like, for example, my cell phone is set to bark. Every time it rings, it sort of barks like a little dog. And my dogs all look at it. Every time it rings, they all stare at it. Like, oh, there it goes again. Now, it's great, especially the poodles. They just look right at it like, oh, no, not a phone call. So I know they already, you know, but they don't know the word phone or that they're supposed to go get it. And right. I don't want them to pick it up. That's the other thing about this. This isn't a retrieve command, right? I don't want them right. mauling my phone or my kids' eyeglasses or eating right. them, you know? Right. So how do we, like, these dogs were kind of, we touched on this before the break, so we should get back to it we um we're kind of harnessing dogs with a high prey drive when you're picking working ones right because they gotta go they gotta never give up and find and find and look and look and look and look okay and really really want to find the thing but then they don't kill it and they don't catch it and they don't eat it so how's that work that's got to be hard that gets into you know professional working dog training and that's a process that you have to do and one of the the big issues that search and rescue people have, as well as other working dog people that work outdoors, is teaching the dog not to do what we call crittering. And that is forgetting the object of their search and going after an animal or, or something else. I mean, many dogs fail to pass as working dogs because they can't resist the urge to go after something else. And that's, for instance, a good retriever will make an excellent search dog. But if they're too birdy, their instincts may make them prefer to find birds than people. But oh, yes, them- yes, yes. And I know those dogs, the English setters, the Brittany Spaniels, the Irish setters. They see a bird and it's like their brain goes off and their legs go on and good luck to you. Right, but you want that drive that makes them birdie, but not to the point where they're birdie. So this is why, you know, when you talk about search and rescue or other types of working dogs like bomb, drugs, that kind of stuff, it's really the key thing is knowing how to pick the right dog. And even that's not an exact science. And many times, myself included, have tried to train dogs for search and rescue and they didn't make it and they wash out of the program. And uh, then I put them up for adoption. They make wonderful dogs because they're very well trained, but they just can't do the work that we want them to do. And believe it or not, some dogs have no interest in doing that. 
So you get the dog who doesn't care whether he finds people or not, or the dog who doesn't have an interest in finding drugs. I mean, there's a, it's a very complex set of requirements that enables the dog to be a successful working dog. And they do have well, you know what I think of, and I think of how many people in the general population are really capable of being a police officer or a first responder. You know, like really, that's what they are, right? I mean, it's exceptional. It's not every German Shepherd or every Golden Retriever can walk for the blind. No, it's exceptional. Well, it is, and you have to realize the handler is the other half of the team, and the dog can only tell you if they're sent or not sent or if there's an object or not. It's up to the handler to know how to use the dog, where to use the dog, and to interpret what the dog's telling them. So it takes more training for the handler to become qualified than it really does for the dog. The dogs Mm -hmm. are probably the easier half of the team to train. So if people already have a dog that knows go get, but go get means, you know, go get the ball and they bring the ball in their mouth, they should introduce a complete, all the words need to be different, you know, because otherwise your dog is going to pick up what you're searching for. So forget about those truffles, forget about (laughs) whatever it is you were trying to find because it's destroyed, you know, and that your phone, your eyeglasses, your keys, whatever, their mouth, they're goobery, they're disgusting, you know, So, (laughs) so instead come up with something else. And I can see off being a big, big problem with this, switching off. So let's say someone has a really keen little dog, maybe a Jack Russell Terrier or a Parsons Terrier, let's just say, and they train their dog to find their keys. And maybe they make the mistake of thinking, you know what, I'll get him to bark when he finds something. Okay, so now the dog is constantly finding the keys and barking when they don't even want him to. So there's some mistakes I can see happening with this training where you really got to be careful that it's always when you ask, you don't reward him for finding finding him later on once he's trained for no reason at all, right? And don't pick a noisy, rude signal, right? Like, don't have your dog jump up on you when he finds something. (laughs) Wouldn't you say, Sue? Well, it all depends. I mean, people, we do train our dogs to have physical contacts. When a dog has a an alert or mm-hmm. an indication, there's different terms. People use different terms for that. But when the dog finds the object, comes back to tell you about it, we usually let the dog pick the signal. Because oh, really? The, yes, because the dog, if the dog picks the signal, he's going to do it reliably. Now, keep in mind that working dogs can be out there for six or eight hours, and they're tired. So if you ask them to sit by the person they find and bark for 15 or 20 minutes till you get there, they may not do that because they're tired. So you pick mm-hmm. something the dog likes. Like, for instance, one of the, the good signals for boxes is to hit you with their feet. Oh, That's I can see that. Yeah, Bouvier's yeah. would do that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, so poodles do... would, too. Poodles like to use their paws. And right, I bet right. your dobies would as well. Right, but you let the dog do what he likes to do. You let him pick the signal. And that's your signal. And he only gives you the signal when he finds what he's supposed to be looking for. Now, of course, with bomb work and drug work, it has to be a passive signal. So they want the dog to sit, usually sit near the object. But in different types of search and rescue, people come up with all kinds of different signals for the dogs to give them because every dog is different. A retriever or a terrier might like to come up and tug on your shirt. Yeah, that makes sense. Or what about if they do like a little happy dance or a circle or is that permissible or not clear enough? 
It's not clear enough. Not clear. When you're talking about people's lives, it's got to be definite. Yeah, and that would be one that would come very natural to the dog, wouldn't it? Right, right. And that might be an indication that they've, they're on to scent. That would be part of their body language. But the signal mm. has to be one that you can identify when you can't hear the dog and when it's difficult to see the dog. Think of nighttime, fog, smoke. If there's a, so there uh, has to be multiple signals. He has to do something you can spot with binoculars, and he has to and he has to say something in case you can't even see him. Well, there has to be no. It wouldn't be multiple signals, but it would but be a it, signal that's identifiable in all situations. So, okay. So what is that? What's a signal like that? I'm not understanding. If it's dark well, it, it and noisy. Be, it could be anything the dog will do, but it's only done under those circumstances and it's done consistently, such as the dog may come and sit in front of you and bark. The dog okay. may come and pull on your shirt. The dog may grab your pants legs. The dog may hit you with its feet. The dog may literally jump up into your arms. I mean, it, it depends on the animal. Right, and the size of the animal and the size of the trainer, too, and the right. terrain and what's going on. I get I get yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of big dogs when I said, don't train him to jump up on you when he finds yourself home. But you're right, if it's a, if it's a tiny dog, why not? Yeah, my little Or if you're in a wheelchair and it's a tiny dog, then absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my little Havanese and was nine and a half pounds, and she would come up and hit my ankle with her front feet, and that was her signal. So how come you've got a Parsons and a Havanese? Where's your, uh, you know, your beagle bloodhound? Why, why don't you have any scent dogs kicking around the house? Well, I did. Uh, right now, I mean, my Bolseron was my, actually, I cross-trained my search dogs, and they did multiple disciplines, and I used Bolseron and Border Collies primarily, and my Havanese was my midlife crisis lap dog, but decided Aww. to train her to do some work anyway, and she turned out to be a fantastic <laughs> little scent dog. My so the lesson there is it's all about the trainer. That's the lesson on that one. If you can train a Havanese to follow scent like a smart, you know, prove everybody I'm the smartest creature in the planet, Border Collie, then, then wow. That's pretty well, incredible. Because Havanese, they're pretty laid back. I mean, they're not exactly workaholics, are they? Well, they're very good little dogs and they're very <laughs> smart. They were actually originally used as trick dogs. So oh, they have wow. keen little minds and, and okay. she was a riot to watch her work because she had the attitude of, I am not little, I am not cute, I'm working, and don't try to play with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Now, Havanese, oh. they became popular maybe 15 years ago. I think they were sort of the, the dog of choice for families with allergies and asthma for a little while there, but I don't think they're strictly as hypoallergenic as the poodle. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Are they sort of almost... Well, Havanese, the problem with the Havanese is they have a very, very long, silky coat that mats very easily. And if you're not interested in caring for that or keeping them shaved, which is what I did with my dog, they can be a little more difficult to groom than, say, a Parsons Russell Terrier. No dog is allergy-free because it's not the hair that people are allergic to. It's the dander, and all dogs have dander. 
Well, and sometimes the breath, there are people who are not allergic to dogs but are allergic to poodle breath, which is kind of an odd little thing. So if you truly suffer from allergies or asthma in your family and you're worried, you know, some animals make you react and some don't, then make sure before you get a pet, you actually spend a good load of time. Maybe if you've got a little boy, take his shirt off. Get a lot of contact with the adult version of the pet you want to adopt because you might not be allergic to the puppies or the kittens. That's, that's kind of an easy go there. But the adult version of the thing you want to adopt, take care of someone's you know, or go visit a breeder, or go visit a shelter, but spend the time, because you don't want to get the dog, fall in love with it, have it eight, nine months, and then discover you can't keep it, because you're just, it's making you sick. So check that out. It's very person-specific. You can also get tests from an allergist. Oh, that's true, too, yes. And you can get treats. The other thing is, if you are having trouble with your pet, there are all kinds of new treatments, as well as the old style, um, which is sort of based on homeopathy, where you have the injections. The old style traditional medicine took on the homeopathic philosophy for these allergy injections, where you get the thing you're allergic to injected in you over and over and over again for a few years, and then you stop reacting. But there's a new kind of treatment where you get, you can actually collect the hair of the exact pet you're working on and bring it to your treatment, and, and they'll make it specific to that. So I've had tremendous results with that because... I used to be horribly allergic to cherry trees and I live in an area where it's like the tree of choice for everybody these ornamental cherry trees they're they're pink and beautiful and they bloom in March and March 22nd is the cherry tree festival every year and it used to be by then I was in bed I used to be off radio for weeks I couldn't breathe I couldn't you know just finish a sentence without coughing it was so bad and I got these treatments I actually cut branches and took them in with me in a Ziploc bag and said this this I hate this and she figured out I was allergic to other trees too that bloomed around the same time gave me this massive you know treatment a few times and I'm over it so if anybody's looking for that that's the way of laura.com you can connect with her and the people like her through there she's a, a nurse who does this work but there's lots of ways around it if you do have a pet you've become allergic to don't give up the doctors now say for kids who are allergic the best thing or, or for kids in general the best thing is to have more than one pet in the home from ages zero to eight and that's the most likely way they won't develop long-term and chronic and terrible respiratory and allergic problems throughout their lives. So the thinking kind of reversed. It used to be, oh, if you've got allergies, get rid of the pet. Well, that's reversed. So I don't want people thinking we're suggesting that pets aren't good for allergies. It's the opposite thinking nowadays. But I want to talk just a little more about scenting. We're going to have to go soon. Scenting on the Wind is Susan Belanda's book. And if you really want to train your dog to find stuff, you know, it's better than one of those cheapo metal detectors. You can find stuff that very specific things, very cool, make use of that dog nose or just have some fun with it. Check out her book, Scenting on the Wind. And um, you can also see Find My Car, my training video clip. It's free on YouTube, Deborah Wolf, if you want to see how to train a dog to just find the car so you don't get lost anymore. I used to go for these big long walks with a whole group of dogs. I was a dog walker before I owned Camp Good Dog. And I would sometimes get lost. And I knew the dogs knew where the car was. But they didn't know that that's what I was looking for. I just knew there was this disconnect, you know? So once I trained them to find the car, my life got easier. And yours will too if you train your dog to find things by scent. So, okay, so what would you like to leave them with, Susan? What do you think they need to know about their dog and scenting? 
Well, if scenting is too much for a person to, to work with, then not everybody can, and not every dog wants to, I think the most important thing is to find something your dog likes to do. It is the most boring life to sit around the house all day and have nothing to do. And I think that's one of the biggest problems, causes of behavior problems that we have with our animals, dogs and cats, birds as well. So if, you know, scenting is a fun thing, it's, but it takes time. Easier to do would be to teach your dog to do some what I call silly dog tricks. Say your prayers, roll over, the standard stuff. At least do something with your dog. And, of course, they're going to love scent work, but if it's not possible, do something. And I think that's the most important message. I don't know why it wouldn't be possible. I mean, even the, the silliest, simplest dog would appreciate having a dog cookie trailed along the carpet and then put in a place and told, okay, you can go find that now, and he will take his nose and follow the trail. You might even place it in plain view. Then he gets the cookie. Good boy. Then you do it again, and you make it harder and harder and harder. Now you've got a scenting dog. That's how easy it is. This stuff is like hardwired into his brain, right? I mean, every dog can do this. Well, that's true, but you know, I'm I'm thinking in not terms every of, person. You're, you're not just, every person. You realize the limits of the humans. All of those humans holding their dogs back. That's what's going on. Well, I mean, some people physically can't think of some that's elderly true. that have mobility problems and you know that kind of stuff. I mean, there there are situations where people cannot do that kind of thing. And but, but they if they can, can drop something. a cookie, if they can drop a cookie, then they can get their dog to find it. Right? Well, I don't think they have to even train a dog for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so they drop a cookie quietly, secretly, and then later they tell their dog to go find it. That's all it takes. And you know what? I bet most of the elderly people listening to this show are already doing stuff like that. Because I notice that when a little mutt lives with an old lady, it knows a lot of tricks. Haven't you noticed that phenomenon? <laughs> and it gets a lot of scraps, and it lives a long life. I've noticed those three things about little dogs and old ladies. So it's a good match all around, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, you can do things like that. But my experience has been if you try and drop a cookie and hide it, the dog's going to find it before you're ready for him to find it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, you've got keen, smart dogs. Okay, oh, yeah. so I guess we have to go. The party's over, I'm afraid, Sue. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you it's definitely been... recommend Clicker, and I know why you recommend it. If people want to know more about that, they can talk to me later. You definitely recommend the Clicker. I don't use it myself, but when I meet a couple or a family where they're just not consistent, or a lot of times it's the man in the house, he just can't seem to make the happy dog sound. He always sounds like he's angry or barking or aggressive, or sometimes the timing's just wrong. They're just too slow or reluctant to say good dog and the dog's not getting the praise when it needs to. And they will just press the clicker every time they see the dog doing something they like. Click, click, click. You do that, your dog gets trained. That's It's very, 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 very simple. So it kind of neutralizes all those factors of people who won't praise and people who don't know how to make their voice sound happy and people where the family has all different styles or where the timing's off. The clicker kind of solves all that stuff. And it's really easy. And sometimes you can even get the clicker with a book explaining how to use it in a video that all comes together. So there's really, it's really not something that's hard for people to access, I would suggest. What do you think? I agree with you. It's, it's probably the easiest way to work with a dog for the average person. 
Yeah, and but, it doesn't you know, mean your dog won't work when you've misplaced the clicker. Your dog will work just, in fact, better. It's going to work for you when you say good dog as well. Right, right. But you can always do something with your dog, no matter what your situation is. And, and it takes no more than five minutes at a time, three five-minute sessions a day, and you can have a trained dog. Oh, that's something we didn't mention. Okay, so I kind of know with different dogs, they have different signals to show you their stress. Some dogs, their tail's up high when they're happy and, and it starts to go low when they're not. Some dogs, you know, they just, their posture changes. Some dogs get bored in training. You can sort of tell what's going on with them. Most dogs pay attention for a few minutes, need a break. A few minutes, need a break. If it's a Border Collie, a Standard Poodle, Doberman, and they're already into training you can go quite a bit longer. A new dog that maybe isn't used to it or isn't that good at memory, maybe a little slower thinker, you have to go shorter. And you have to keep it happy and you have to keep it positive. So what would you say to people? How do they know when their dog's had too much? How do you know? Because I find sometimes people want to train for an hour. And 60 minutes straight for any dog is way too much, but especially a pet dog beginning to learn stuff. So what would you tell people on that? Well, I tell them, think about children. Usually, you have to keep it short and sweet. Learning is very stressful. Using what you learned is easier, but learning itself is stressful. And that's the difference between training and applying. So, again, my formula is 15 minutes a day in five-minute increments. And if you're going to do a 15-minute block, you do five, rest a minute, five, rest a minute, five, rest a minute. If you see the dog shutting down, not responding, or not paying attention, it's time to stop. It's not a question. People often say, oh, he's just being stubborn. Dogs are rarely stubborn. Dogs are programmed to want to do and work with us. So when they shut down, it's because they're overloaded. And every dog is different. Every dog, you can't say all Border Collies are the smartest because it's an individual thing. So you can't go by breed. You have to go by that individual animal. What that animal's attention span is, what that animal's intellectual ability is. So it's I totally matter. agree with that. And you know what? Sometimes the smart, smart dogs are more difficult to train than the less smart ones who just really work hard. You know, when you think of the gifted kid in the class, he's not that easy for the teacher. The kid who just tries his best every single day and would be a B student if he didn't, but is an A, that kid's easy to work with. That's a golden retriever. And sometimes they do have a long attention span. If you're training a golden and you take swim breaks... It's going to be able to work for a very long time because it loves to swim and it's completely relaxed and it's had total zen downtime in between. If you don't have the swim time and it's a scorching hot day, weather makes a big difference to dogs, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You have to watch the weather. Again, the dog is going to work longer in the winter time if it's not bitter, bitter cold out than mm-hmm. he is in the hot, hot summer. So again, there's many factors involved in determining how much your dog can take. And people know their dogs. They know them better than they think. And if you're feeling, if your heart says, gee, I don't think my dog's really having a good day today, trust your judgment and give the dog a break. Or if you're having a bad day, if you've been in a bad mood, you get up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever, don't try and train your dog. Leave it go. They're not going to forget everything you taught them if you don't train them for a day. 
they will well remember. okay let's let's deal with that now let's say you're working on something and it seems like you think you're on step three but your dog is stopped at step two i wouldn't stress over that i would go back and practice step two a couple times till he's confident and then move to step three because sometimes just like people dogs get a little bit insecure about the newest material wouldn't you say Yep, yep. If you're not progressing at step two, go back to step one. And, you know, it's not a question of failing. It's a question of teaching well. And this is, you know, these are the misconceptions people have. They say, oh, the dog just doesn't want to do it, or he's too stupid, or, you know, whatever. And it just could be that the concept you're trying to teach the dog, or you're trying to teach him too much at once. Or he's not having a good day. Dogs hide when they don't feel well. It could be the dog just has a little upset stomach that day. Well, you know what? This makes me remember that movie. Oh, what was it called? Best in Show, where there were these two neurotic people. And no matter what they did, their dog was not going to place because their energy, their anxiety, their wish for it to succeed, them bickering about it just threw the dog totally off. And I think sometimes the person's too invested. You know, I want my dog to get this. I want my dog to show how how good he is. And that, that just, forget it. Someone else walks in and your dog is going to do the trick for that person because that person's yeah. relaxed. Right, you know? right, absolutely. So, you know, what it boils down to is the dog can read us better than we can read them. That's so, so they, true. And I think all dog owners know that, but I think we kind of forget that. I think, you know, when they're standing there and they're looking at their watch and the dog isn't coming and they're at the dog park and they're late for a meeting and they, they know that they have to act happy and frolic through the field and their dog will chase them and catch up to them and they can load them in the car. But they're so annoyed and irritated and pissed off that the dog's not coming anywhere near them. And they, <laughs> and they know that, but still, yeah. it's really hard. Right. But, you know, the other thing people don't realize is that obedience is not a question of the dog knowing what to do. Obedience is the dog's ability to exercise self-control, and that takes practice. So the dog may know and do a reliable recall in most situations, but when he's in the dog park, there are better things to do, and he cannot resist going by the other dogs. It's not a matter of defiance as much as the ability to exercise self-control. And I think that's what dog owners don't realize, that these dogs are not robots. They have feelings, they have opinions, they have needs, just like we do. And in order to obey us in all the different situations we expect them to, they have to have had time to build up self-control. And I think that's the big downfall. That's a really interesting comment. I often tell people that they'll come to me and they'll say, well, it comes really well, except, and it's like, yeah, except when there's something better to do. That's really the crux of it. He comes great in the backyard. He comes great at the dog park when it's empty. Well, of course he does. You know, what else is there to do? Right, right. I love love the ones that really call their owners out. You're walking by a dog park and you see this person, you know, and they're yelling, Rocky, Mindy, whatever they're yelling. And you see this one dog look the other way. Like, what am I missing? (laughs) What is it I'm missing? He's calling me. There must be a squirrel. There must be something I'm not supposed to check. He doesn't look at the owner at all. He's like completely, oh, there must be something here that he's worried I'll notice. What is it? You know, it's a... Oh, my gosh. And I just, uh, sometimes when I walk through dog parks, I just shake my head. A lot of times, dogs will just come to me. Dogs people are searching for, because I smell so much like dog, I suppose. But they just, they'll come right over, and I'll just sort of grab them, and here you go. (laughs) 
Thank you. You're welcome. That kind of thing. But the dog won't come to a freaked out person. So try to remember that when you're calling your dog. Fake it. Fake it really, really well. Academy Award faking and your dog will come. Get busy doing something playful and happy that he can't resist. Like dig a hole or play with a ball. You know, just throw it up and down. Play with your catch with yourself. And while he's watching, he'll see you from far away and think, oh, ball. That, <laughs> that's what you have to do if your dog isn't coming. Okay, so Sue, uh, what should we leave them with? Scenting on the wind, Susan Bulanda. What should we leave them with? We got to go on Animal Party, Pet Life Radio. Okay, thank you for having me on the show. Well, thank you for coming. I hope we shed some light on, on scenting. I hope people will get out there and use their dog's noses because they're so much better than our noses and there's no reason not to use them, right? That's right. And, um, you know, your listeners can always go to my website. It's just my name, com, and there's articles on there and, and uh, other books I've written. So it's an informative website. And okay, welcome so to I'll, check put those it out. Li- I'll put those links up. So if you want to find Susan Belanda's website, you don't have to remember how to spell it. Just click on the link and uh, you can get there and find Scenting on the Wind. Or you can go to DebraWolfOnline.com or Camp Good Dog Facebook or Debra Wolf Pet Expert Facebook. You can find me all over the place. And I will be back again soon on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Come back to the party. Until then, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.